According to the CDC, more than 588,000 Americans have died from opioid overdose since 1999. Today's guest tells the story of that epidemic in Dope Sick, a new limited series on Hulu. He's Danny Strong, this week on Story in the Public Square. Hello and welcome to Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University. And I'm G. Wayne Miller with the Providence Journal. This week, we're joined by Danny Strong, an actor, writer, director, and producer of some of the most powerful productions you'll ever see on screen, including Dope Sick, a new limited series on Hulu. Danny, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, we are so grateful to have you here, and we're grateful, too, because it was your acceptance speech of the Pell Center Prize years ago uh, that launched the show. So thank you on multiple fronts. Danny, we are uh, dazzled by, by Dope Sick. Can you just give us a quick overview of what the production is? Yeah, no, thank you so much. I'm, I'm thrilled uh, that, that you're uh, enjoying the show, although I, some, in some ways it's hard to say to, to enjoy that show. It's, it's a unique uh, experience, but it is the story of the opioid crisis, um, specifically around the crimes of Purdue Pharma, in which we follow uh, multiple people who were caught in the vortex of the opioid crisis, um, prosecutors bringing a case against Purdue Pharma, a DE agent who's trying to stop Purdue Pharma. And then we're also in a small mining town in Appalachia, where we see a country doctor um, played by Michael Keaton who is prescribing OxyContin to his patients because he's been convinced by uh, reps uh, from Purdue Pharma that the drug is safe, that it's this new miracle drug uh, that is much safer than uh, any other opioid ever put on the market. Um, and and uh, as part of the sales pitch, uh, OxyContin has a unique label from the FDA uh, that says that the drug is less addictive than other opioids. And then the last storyline we follow is we're actually in Purdue Pharma uh, with the Sackler family, the family that, that owned and controlled this company, as we see the different deceptive marketing techniques that the company would devise to mislead uh, doctors and patients that their drug was safe, when in fact it was not. So it was my wife and I have watched this. What we've tried to grapple with is how much of this is facts as they happen and how much of it is fiction. Yeah, I, the show is very accurate. Uh, it's very accurate even when it's being fictionalized because what you're seeing is you're seeing things that did happen. In some cases, you're seeing things happen um, exactly as they occurred. Some of it's verbatim and some of it is dramatizations based upon uh, experiences of multiple people. So the, the show is quite accurate. Um, there's, there's parts of the show that are fictionalized. Uh, that fictionalization is to give a, a somewhat of a universal truth of things that happen to many people. Um, uh, and by many, I mean hundreds of thousands. I'm trying to encapsulate the experience of thousands or hundreds of thousands into a, a couple of composite characters that are very much um, archetypes 
of, of journeys that different people went through. And then um, as far as what you're seeing in Purdue Pharma is you're basically seeing Purdue Pharma 101. Uh, you're seeing um, the, the marketing techniques um, that they came up with. And it's very much, um, you know, uh, Purdue, like I said, Purdue Pharma 101, that these are, these are yes, they're not verbatim meetings, uh, yet the stuff that they're coming up with and devising um, is exactly what the company came up with and devised. Um, so so you wait, what's being portrayed is, is what was actually done, whether it's being portrayed verbatim or not. In some cases, it is verbatim that I would take email exchanges between Richard Sackler and, and another employee, and I would take that email exchange and turn it into a scene that is uh, almost verbatim what is said in these email exchanges. So I don't know if you could get more factual than taking someone's own email exchange and turning it into dialogue uh, and, and in which uh, I would alter, I don't know, a sentence or two. And that altering was literally just to make it sound conversational as opposed to written. Um, so so this, the show is, is quite, quite accurate. So I, I want to get into some of the reaction you've had to this. Start with the, the general reaction. And by that, I mean the, the viewing public. I know it's been a, a, a tremendous hit for Hulu. But what are you hearing just from ordinary folks you know, like me and like Jim, for example, and our wives who've been watching this and have been blown away? What, what are you hearing? That, to be honest with you, uh, is that people are blown away. They're shocked. They're stunned. They're enraged uh, by what this company did. Um, they're at times devastated by what the actions of this company, what it did to, to people, everyday people, uh, and how it turned their lives upside down in, in such a, a tragic, uh, unfair way. Um, and, and I just think uh, people are pretty, they're pretty stunned at, at what they're seeing that this all happened. Um, and it's, it's pretty clear when you're watching it too, that we're not exaggerating that this is that, that these events are this, this is what went down. Um, and in the case of Purdue Pharma, all the deception that we show um, is things that they have already pled guilty to, uh, that they have signed in a statement of facts uh, that came from a settlement in, in 2007. Um, I actually believe that the settlement was 2006, but these, these final sentencing hearing, um, plea hearing was, was in 2007. So, so we're, we're taking the crimes of Purdue and we're showing uh, exactly what those crimes are. And we've been on the air now for five, six weeks. I haven't seen one denial from Purdue or from the Sackler family stating that anything that we've portrayed is untrue. Well, what about that yet? What about from within the uh, the behavioral health treatment and, and addiction treatment communities and from, from people who are addicted or family members of people who are or were addicted? What are you hearing from them? I'm guessing, again, you're hearing a lot. Uh, very grateful. Uh, very grateful the story is being told. Very grateful there is a, um, a deeper understanding of addiction. Um, so many people that have addiction issues um are they're highly stigmatized they're they're viewed in a negative light they're viewed as if they are you know the the losers and the failures of society um as opposed to someone that actually has a disease in the case of an opioid addiction uh their brain chemistry has been changed uh and until their frontal lobe can be rewired can be healed um it's very likely that they have this overwhelming need 
for um, for some type of opioid, whether it be uh, OxyContin or many people move on to heroin because it's much cheaper. Because if they don't get that um, and they're suffering from an opioid use disorder, they feel as if um, the withdrawal pain is so severe, they feel as if they're gonna die. And that's what being dope sick um, is. It's that feeling of withdrawal uh, that you are in massive pain that will not be alleviated unless uh, you are given your next fix uh, to, to ease or, or end those withdrawal symptoms. So the, the fact that we're shining such a big light on this uh, it has been, I've just, you know, on, on social media in particular is where I'm getting most of the feedback. But then also a lot of people are emailing Beth Macy and emailing various people. And then those emails get forwarded to me. And it's, it's just an overwhelming sense of, of gratitude, the stories being told, thrilled, the stories being told, thankful, uh, the stories being told. Um, so we're, we're, we're really pleased to have, have been able to have gotten this out there uh, to this extent. Danny, you mentioned Beth Macy. Uh, and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about your collaboration with her. Mm -hmm. Here's my mug, my mug. <laughs> mug. Um, I love Beth Macy. She's an incredible person. Um, she wrote a wonderful book. I'd actually come up with this show um, and sold it to the studio called 20th, which was is in the Disney company before I even knew Beth's book existed. Uh, and then uh, another division at Disney, a different studio, went and bought the book Dope Sick in a bidding war. And I read about that on, <laughs> on Deadline Hollywood, this entertainment <laughs> news site, uh, that, that my own studio ha had a competing project against me. It was a very unusual situation. Uh, so they asked if I would team up with uh, Beth Macy and the producer Warren Littlefield and with the book Dope Six. So I had read the, I read the book. Uh, I thought it was a beautiful book. And more importantly, I met with Beth and I adored Beth. So I agreed to team up. So this, the show isn't a sort of beat for beat adaptation of the book Dope Sick. Um, because you won't find Dr. Phoenix or Betsy. They're not even characters in Dope Sick, right? Um, so it was, it was what you're, the show you're seeing is a show that I constructed. And then with the inclusion of the book, I found that the book um, helped deepen the show. There were so many incredible stories and tales of people um, that had gone on this very heroin path of addiction and people that were fighting against Purdue. And so I was able to get more stories uh, into the show. And Beth was in the writer's room full-time. She was a wonderful, wonderful part, uh, partner uh, on the show. We and her and I kept, we kept doing interviews all the way through um, the process. So, so new information kept coming and we were this sort of uh, Woodward and Bernstein. Although I like to say that, you know, she was Woodward and I was Bernstein's incompetent cousin, Sid. Uh, <laughs> right? and, uh, I'm, I'm sort of, a, I play a journalist on TV. So, uh, so, but, but we, we, we did really well. We got, we got new information all the way till the end of the shoot that, that we would incorporate. So one of the hallmarks of your work has been the, re the incredible amount of research that you put into it. And you described a little bit of it earlier. Maybe talk a little bit more about the research that went into dope sick, but the importance in general of doing the kind of intensive background research uh, that you do and, and bring to your properties. I'm thinking of, you know, Lee Daniels, the butler, another example, recount, you know, again, two, two major issues of our time. Talk, talk about research. Yeah, I mean, for me, research is, if you're going to do, if you're going to work on a nonfiction piece, well, 
if you don't want to do the research and find out the truth, why work on a nonfiction piece? Just go write a fictional piece. So for me, the, the research is a huge part of, of what the story is. Uh, in many ways, um, it's, it's the fun of it uh, as far as, well, if I feel as if there is um, enough here, a profound enough story and this true story that it can be turned into a piece of drama, a piece of art, a two hour movie, an eight hour limited series. Wow, that must be really interesting what happened. And so I'm just uh, looking forward to the research and finding out what happened. We need to take a quick moment for station identification. This is Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. An audio version of this show can be heard four times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's popular Politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we're lucky to work with them. I'm Jim Lutis. On most days, you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can do so at J.M. Lutis. Joining me as he does every week in the co-host chair is my friend G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist with the Providence Journal and the author of 19 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter, too, at G. Wayne Miller. And our guest this week is Danny Strong. You may know him from his work as an actor, as an Emmy-winning screenwriter of Game Change, Recount, or Lee Daniels, The Butler, or co-creator of Empire on Fox. But today, we're talking about his powerful new limited series on Hulu, Dopesick. Danny's on Twitter, at Danny Strong, spelled just like it sounds. So you do all the research, and we've talked about this before on this show, and you just gave a, a great outline of what you do. But then you have to create characters. You have to take facts and the research and create, for example, Dr. Phoenix or, or, or Betsy Malum. How do you do that? How do you make them so compelling and so human? And, and humanizing, I think, is another virtue of your work. How do you take hard facts and make these incredible characters that work so well on the screen? And then I want to ask how you got Michael Keaton, but start with the first part. Sure. sure. <laughs> well, it's different for every project and every character. So, and in this, this piece, because this piece has uh, lots of true life characters and then a few composite characters, it's very different for even just within this piece, uh, the process. So with a, with a composite character, there's actually a lot more freedom uh, as far as creating the character because it's not a real life person in which I have a responsibility to them to portray them in, in a way that's as fair as possible. And then also sometimes with a real life person, it's hard to portray them to just find something that makes them interesting or worthy of being a character uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a dramatization, right? So, so there's all sorts of challenges with true life characters, uh, which I'm happy to get to in a second. On, the, on a composite character like a Phoenix or a Betsy, that is, it's less challenging for me at least because um, the sort of the sky's the limit. I can use anecdotes from so many different people. I don't have to only use anecdotes for what, for what Rick Mountcastle did or what Randy Ramsire did or what Richard Sackler did. With Dr. Phoenix, he was based upon three different doctors 
Um, they went on a similar journey that he went on. And then the more I read of different books and articles, there were so many different doctors that went through what, what he, what he went through. It was, it was way more than just three, which I, it's probably hundreds. Right. And Betsy with the same is, is the same thing in which, um, I just kept reading about these stories of addiction and these journeys that people would go on. And there would be a lot of similarities of the path of, of getting injured, taking the medication for the injury, it works great. Then it, then it starts to not work so well. And then you have to up the dose. And then all of a sudden within a week, two weeks, a month, you find yourself addicted to it, that you're having this withdrawal pain. And then eventually that addiction can often lead to someone having to switch to heroin um, because doctors are cutting them off or they're having a harder time getting the medication or uh, heroin is just cheaper and easier to get sometimes. So there was this, this, um, this journey that I just read about over and over. So, so those two characters were a, a, a compilation of all these true facts. And then I'm able to use just my own creativity of, of creating a character and finding nuance and depth and, and storylines that I think will help enhance, in this case, the, the overall true story of, of, of what I'm trying to portray. So, so you know, and, and the fact that you find them so compelling um, I just will say, thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you feel that way. It was a lot of work, uh, and it's, and it doesn't come easy, but that is why they hire me. Uh, you know, I'm a professional writer. So, so that's, that's, that's my job now on the, the true characters. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's hard to crack that nut of what's going on with this person. Some cases they are nuts. So that's usually a little bit less hard because there's something really interesting there to, to pull from. Um, some people aren't eccentric. Some people are kind of boring. Well, then you kind of lean into that. And that's the characterization uh, at the end of the day. But I try to find, I try to take the true life qualities that I get from them, either from what I've read about them, if I've interviewed them. Um, you know, a, a lot in the interview, you just, a lot of things kind of come out of spending time with someone. Um, or watching them be interviewed, or in the case of Richard Sackler, um, it was interviews with people that knew him, because uh, I didn't have access to him. Now he's given an eight-hour um, deposition that I was able to watch, um, and I got some characteristics from it, but he's very guarded, and he's very careful, and I can't make this assumption that that guarded, careful person in the middle of a tape deposition, that that is who that person is all the time, right? So um, I was fortunate that I got to speak to a number of people at Purdue Pharma um, that worked there that knew him. Then I went to sort of an extreme measure with, with Richard Sackler because there was something missing for me. He's viewed as just this monster, this American monster, a greedy monster who just wanted to make as much money as possible. And that's why uh, he oversaw all of this deception in the marketing of OxyContin and then never relented from that deception, just kept pushing as hard as he can, no matter, uh, and pushing his people to sell as hard as they can, no matter what information came out. And I just felt there had to be more than that. So, because he was already rich before OxyContin existed. So was it really money? Um, and uh, so I actually did a therapy session uh, in which I role-played that I was Richard Sackler and it was a 45-minute therapy session, and the therapist is married to a very famous screenwriter and does this kind of work with her husband. And I'm friends with the husband, so he said, oh, yeah, you're having a hard time getting under this character's skin, but you got to do a session with my wife. That's what I do. Huh. So uh, I was very fortunate to A, have this friend, and then B, the session itself 
was great. It was really, and by the way, I worked out my own issues as well. So (laughs) about Richard and about myself too, but it was, it was just, it was a very interesting, um, very interesting technique to, to see if I could find more depth, uh, in an individual that was hard to, to unravel. I've I've never heard of that. That's, that's amazing. I'm going to have to take advantage of that. What a great idea. It was, it was great. Yeah. Danny, you, you uh, Wayne mentioned Michael Keaton, but this has got a terrific cast uh, a, across the board. Uh, coming to work with these folks, uh, tell me about the the collaboration with the actors on screen. Yeah, the actors are incredible. They're the best of the best. You know, I myself am an actor, uh, and I yeah, I have thirty years of of uh, acting credits, and and so for me, I I have not just the utmost respect for what actors do, but I actually do it myself. So I'm one of them and I view myself as one of them and they view me the same way. So I always have the best relationships with my actors on set. And it's not just the, the, the movie stars or the, 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 the very fancy uh, award-winning actors. For me, if you've got one line on my set, if you're a background person on my set um, and you're on camera, uh, I'm, I, it's, we're all in this together. And I'm just trying to make the scenes work as well is, is I can, I, I want the actors to have a positive experience. I want them to be loose uh, and relaxed because I just think uh, work is better when, when, when everyone just feels relaxed and free. So it, it was, it's, it's almost always a very positive experience for me working with the actors because like I said, I'm very much one of them and I approach it in that way. And I think we all have, try to have a good time doing it even when it's subject matter that's so harrowing or scenes that are so dark at times, that's my process as a producer and as a director. So you have a, you have a great number of issues that you could write about and a number, any number of ideas. And I, I've actually said this on the show before, Stephen King was once asked, asked, where did he get his ideas? And he sort of smugly said, Utica, as in Utica, New York, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> but, but how do you decide what to do? I mean, you, again, you, there are so many issues you could tackle. How do you decide what you want to do? And then maybe you can talk about where you're going next or what you're doing next. Well, there's one place I go to where I do get all my ideas. Um, Utica, I, same thing. I see somebody, <laughs> I'm like, Steven, you know, like, why do you wait at me? I don't know who you are. Stop waving at me, Frank. Um, I, you know, uh, I, it's, I, I never know. I'm, the bar for me is very, very high for a story that I want to turn into a movie or a limited series or a TV show because the amount of work that it takes is staggering and it goes on for years um, and, and it's never ending the amount of work. And, and I enjoy the work but there, are, but it, it's not even the creative part. It's the process of getting it made, production meetings, you know, trying to get a bigger budget, trying to get a marketing budget, trying to even get anyone interested in the first place at all. I mean, on this project, everyone passed. Uh, no one wanted to make it, and then Hulu finally stepped up and said, "Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll do this." And it was, I'm so grateful to Hulu, and I think Hulu is uh, having this incredible run right now for the last two years. Their original programming is is really terrific and really interesting. And it's not surprising that they were the ones that stepped up to make this when no one else wanted to make it. So so because it's so difficult and so all consuming and I can only work on a few, um, the bar is extremely high. And, and in this case, I thought this story was 
so powerful, so shocking. Uh, you had a pharma company that was lying through their teeth saying that addi an addictive drug was non-addictive. And because of their deception, uh, something occurred called the opioid crisis that, that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have died, millions of lives have been ruined, millions of families have been ruined, all because a very, very small group of people, maybe seven, maybe eight people in one company um, uh, deceived the country about their drug so that they could make money. Uh, now that's a great, awful, profound story, but what takes it to another level is how they were able to co-opt the institutions of the US government to do this. And so there the story goes from a crime story to a story that is profound about the darkest natures of our of American capitalism. Uh, and it and the and what it has to say about the revolving door and the relationship between uh, industry and government and the people that are supposed to be regulating companies like Purdue Pharma to protect the American people, how they often are looking after that company's interest over the American people's interest. Why does that happen? That's an awful thing that happens. And this is an extreme, extreme example of how destructive that could be. So that was, that's for me, what took it over the edge of, wow, there's two stories here. There's a terrifying, fascinating crime story that I think I could dramatize in a dynamic way that would keep an audience engaged and excited to watch the show. And that there's this other story on top of it, which is the darkest nature of the US government's uh, collusion with private industry. Danny, we've got about 30 seconds left here. You know, I, I'm curious, what are you working on now? Uh, obviously, Dope Sick is out. Uh, what's next for you? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm being a little tight-lipped about it. I've got a few projects. I kind of don't like to talk about them at this stage because it's very early. I don't want to give it away so that nine other writers in Hollywood, if they're thinking about doing the same <laughs> thing, are going to be like, oh, I need to hurry mine <laughs> because Danny's working on this. So, so I use, you know, at a certain point, uh, I, I don't have anything that's in the hopper. I do that, that I'm writing that's, that's close enough to talk about. However, I'm also, I have a TV company now. And we're producing lots of projects uh, that we're trying to get made. Uh, and it's a, a dynamic company that, that uh, focuses on, on uh, TV shows that push social issues, that, that uh, diversity, uh, shining a light on, on people that often don't get mainstream treatment in television. Um, so I've got a number of really cool projects on that front as well. Uh, that other writers are writing. So, so it's, a, it's a neat slate. Everything is, is based around, you know, something historical, social justice, social injustice, uh, for the most part, uh, and, uh, and, and just still pushing forward on that front with, uh, with um, my storytelling. I feel like um, uh, I'm, I'm personally, you know, uh, I'm a conservative person, not politically, but just, you know, I don't have tattoos. I'm not cool. There's nothing punk rock about me. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. But in my work, uh, I like to be provocative. I like to really say something. I like to be kind of everything I'm not in my in my personal life. Uh, uh, and so I'm continuing that, you know, is with either my own writing or with uh, other people and trying to get their punk ideas and their their uh, uh, crusades against the system uh, made as well. So it's 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 neat that I'm that I have a platform that I can hopefully get some other stories made from other people at the same time. Oh, Danny, we are grateful for all of it. He is Danny Strong. The show now is Dope Sick, and it's on Hulu. 
It's exceptional television. That's wow, all the time you. we have this week. But if you want to know more about storing the public square, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter or visit PellCenter.org. We can always catch previous episodes. For G. Wayne Miller, I'm Jim Lutis, asking you to join us again next time for more Story in the Public Square.